Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast coming to you from Santa Barbara, California. And uh, before we get started, I want to remind you that there is a website. This website is called wealthformula.com. It is where this podcast lives, and there's lots of resources for you there to download for free, free books and stuff like that, webinars, etc. Go check it out. Uh, also want to mention that if you have not, you should consider, uh, if you qualify, of course, joining the Investor Club. The Investor Club is for our accredited investors. And if you want to take this information, the kinds of things that we do, and actually get off the sidelines and join um, that's where the magic happens. That's where we do, you know, some of the deals and things that, that make sense for us, whether it's real estate, uh, or other alternative assets. We've got a ton of stuff coming up in the next three months. And I want to make sure if you have not done so you onboard, if you are accredited. Now, what does it mean to be accredited? You don't have to apply for anything or get any certification. What you have to do is just be who you are. And if you happen to be accredited, then you are. So if you make $300,000 per year as a, think a joint filing couple, uh, at least for two years or 200,000, if it's just you, uh, or you have a net worth of a million dollars outside of your personal residence, then you are considered accredited. Um, there's also ways to do it now, which again, uh, you'll have to look up. Uh, there's new ways to do it where basically if you, you don't have the financial criteria, but if you have various types of certifications that make the SEC believe that you are smart enough to invest for yourself, then you are also now accredited. Anyway, check it out. And if you qualify, uh, just just sign up for the crew, uh, the, the club, and uh, lots of cool stuff coming down the pipeline here in the last uh, two or three months of the year. Now, as far as uh, the rest of this year, well, listen, we are just a few weeks away from a presidential election, a crazy one at that. It will be, I guarantee. Here's what's going to happen, in my opinion. Uh, you are going to have an election that potentially on election day will have a different uh, you know, leader than might actually win the election. It is going to be crazy. I think it's going to be the craziest thing that we've seen since the year, um, you know, the Bush v. Gore years. Um, and I think it's going to get ugly. 
And we have to pay attention to that. People who've got their money invested in, you know, the highly volatile uh, markets. If I was in the uh, stock market with a significant amount of sum of money, I would seriously be thinking about doing something to hedge over the next um, month or two as we have October surprises. We have uh, elections and we have all sorts of craziness happening. Uh, Ongoing fallout from COVID-19 decreases potentially in government uh, support and who knows what else. Um, Now, if you have been an accredited investor who has been participating in our investor club, fortunately for you, you have been pretty well shielded from having to worry much. Fortunately, uh, as it turns out, we have been, I have been as the the leader of this equity group, preparing for a down cycle for, you know, for a few years. And in that regard, I've been really focusing on working class apartment buildings, self-storage facilities, and other uncorrelated uh, assets, not that uh, real estate is definitely correlated, but some other uncorrelated stuff, which we will continue to talk about within Investor Club. And, uh, you know, having those focuses specifically in the last couple of years turned out to be the right move. Of course, we didn't predict COVID, but we did predict that there would be some reset of the longest expansion in GDP, uh, American GDP history, which, uh, well, I'll tell you what, it doesn't take a, a brain surgeon to uh, figure out. Of course, uh, I used to be a, a neurosurgery resident, so I can say that. Now, many of our properties in our group, our investor club properties, perf- are continuing to perform uh, very well, um, as you know, as well as pre-COVID levels, and in some cases, even better. You're seeing some of those things that we we are doing. Uh, some of the some of you are seeing reports of our Dallas properties right now, where we're every month seem to be doing better and better and better. So it's in, it's pretty incredible, and in reality. Um, I will say that in our market, specifically, you know, working class, uh, high growth markets like Dallas and Phoenix and all these areas, there really isn't a lot of distress. You know, it's not like uh, we we just happen to, you know, we just happen to be the ones who are doing well. As it turns out, there's not a lot of distress in these areas because that's uh, that's actually doing pretty well. Now, if you were in multifamily in California and there was rent strikes, you might have other issues. If you were in A-class apartments, you might have other issues. But listen, uh, we are doing, uh, and I, I couldn't ask for more in terms of, of how we're doing. I, I'm very happy with it. And frankly, it is my opinion that if we get through the next four, five, six months relatively unscathed, we may see an even more expensive market than before as you know the big money starts to see our space um, as a potential safe haven. Uh, so that could be really good for us as we continue the rest of this year and we um, you know we can continue to accumulate property while others appear to be afraid uh, to do so. So anyway, I'm hopeful that is indeed what happens in our niche. However, it is highly unlikely that many of the other real estate subclasses will do well. Um, I mean, specifically, you look at the single family homes in middle class markets, um, you know, they're they're seeing distress. Uh, You're going to see the end of mortgage mitigation efforts are going to expire and you're going to have a lot of uh, uh, problems there. You got non-residential commercial real estate such as office and retail. Well, man, those are like toast, right? I mean, big trouble as our government assistant expires, distress begins pushing prices downward, etc. And in that regard, we could see 
some great buying opportunities as well. And so for our investor club, we're going to, you know, keep our opportunities open to us. We're going to move where the opportunities are. We're going to move to the where the puck's going. And, uh, and that's what's going to make us continue, hopefully, to be as successful as we have been. And, you know, these kinds of distress situations are where opportunities created. You know, the whole real estate market really is in flux, and we need to continue watching it closely. So while it may not seem on the surface, I mean, listen, I live in uh, really in Montecito, California, which is unincorporated Santa Barbara, and our prices are off the charts. He's crazy. Everybody's from L.A. and San Francisco is moving in here, and, you know, you got Prince Harry and Meghan Markle moving in, and everybody's is driving up prices. There's no inventory, and you're seeing that in some markets, and in some markets you're just getting hammered. Um, and it's mostly the, you know, the places that are not really expensive and fancy that are getting hammered. Uh, and, and, you know, guys like George Newberry are in the note business are seeing this uh, firsthand. I mean, he's seeing default rates as high as they've been in eight, eight or nine years. Anyway, I think it's always a good idea to talk to a guy like George. And that's what we're going to do today as we speak uh, with him once again. This is, you know, George has been on the show as many times as anybody else has more than anybody else, I should say. It's always, uh, it's always a great conversation, and that's what you're going to get after these messages. What do the Rothschilds, the Romneys, and the billionaire hedge fund managers know that you don't about growing and protecting wealth? As you might imagine, the wealthy have a few tricks up their sleeves. One strategy allows you to grow wealth tax-free at a compounding rate with no volatility. It protects your money from creditors and lawsuits and it lets you invest the same money in two different places at the same time. How about that for amplifying wealth? To learn more, go to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder the stuff is so profitable and recession-resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast, well, he's making his uh, 150th uh, <laughs> appearance on the show. No, I'm just kidding, but he's been on a lot. He's a good friend of mine and the show, uh, Mr. George Newberry, who uh, you probably know through one of any number of businesses that he has and uh, has started and and that we've participated in in one way or, or another as a community. Uh, there was initially American Homeowner Preservation, which later on became AHP Servicing, which deals with uh, non-performing debt. And uh, there's a fund there, which we'll talk about a little bit more today. Uh, there was also Pre-REO, which we've uh, been talking about a little bit on this show as well. It's a good opportunity for people looking to get their hands a little bit dirtier and potentially, you know, kind of rack up a few uh, real estate professional hours uh, at the same time. 
And so um, that's been great too. But in the meantime, and, and and then wait, where there's also debt cleanse, right? We talk about debt cleanse. Forgot about that one, George. You're uh, you're still rocking and rolling, man. Welcome back uh, to the show. I appreciate that, Buck. And actually, it's 151, 151st. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know the funny thing. Uh, I mean, the funny thing about you is, you know, you've got all these businesses, and uh, I feel like, you know, you're. I think you're. You're actually like five or six years older than me. I think you're like 51 or something, right? Something 54. Like 54. Okay. Well, you only look five or six years younger than me, uh, or older that. than me. You look younger than me. Um, <laughs> But but uh, I feel like I used to be I used to have the energy to start businesses like this. But it, it, as soon as I hit like forty four, it kind of just died. And <laughs> I don't know what what you're you know what kind of supplements you're taking. But I think uh, I think I need some of that, um, George. So you know today we're going to talk a little bit. I wanted to get your feedback again. People are very very curious what's going on you know, in these, in the housing space. And because you deal with, uh, you know, because you deal with notes, with mortgages, et cetera, I'm curious, what is, what is the latest? Are you seeing anything different from, you know, a couple months ago when you were last on in terms of, you know, increases in distress or, you know, what's happening around the country? Sure. Significant increases in distressed mortgages and just distress, economic distress in general in our country. Uh, I mean, that's apparent from the headlines. And, you know, there's been measures put in place, forbearances, stimulus and whatnot that have tried to um, kind of delay this with the hope that, you know, after two weeks was the original, but after a few months, everything gets back to normal. And I think it's increasingly apparent that things aren't getting back to normal anytime soon and that there will be um, some significant economic pain in this country, which is un, uh, unfortunate, uh, but it's what we have. And uh, so for a company like AHP, that does mean that there's an increased amount, increased supply of distressed mortgages at attractive prices. We're already seeing that, and we anticipate the fourth quarter and next year that that will only increase uh, significantly. And that means opportunities to um, both help families that are struggling by buying these at a discount and sharing those discounts with them and also to uh, earn a, a good return for our investors. You know, uh, let me let me ask you this. To, so try to give us some perspective and some flavor on that because, I mean, you you know, you started AHP uh, or as American Homeowner uh, Preservation, like, you know, right around the last major economic crisis. And, um, you know, obviously as time went on over the next decade or so, things really, really, really tightened up, you know, and now it sounds like what you're saying is, okay, well, things are loosening up. There's more inventory. Um, can you give us a sense sort of at a, at a, you know, quantitative level, like what, what that's looking like? Sure. So you're right. We started buying mortgages a decade ago and the, uh, the supply at that point, and that was about two years after the crisis really became, uh, uh, got going, uh, there was a massive supply of distressed mortgages and we were a tiny company that was work, was working with a very limited amount of money. And we were able to right away go and buy from the biggest banks in the country. Uh, Citibank was selling to us within a few weeks of, uh, of us getting started. And 
And then as, as, as the economy improved and the pricing on distressed mortgages became more competitive and the supply became, um, became dwindled that, um, you know, wasn't so easy to buy, um, buy as attractively as we were and, and go back a year ago, it was very difficult. Uh, ASP had a lot of money in the bank and very few favorable opportunities to, to deploy that money. Uh, that's all changed in the last uh, six months. Uh, you know, right away, there wasn't an immediate change, but June, July, August, we've seen a lot of opportunities to purchase. I think that's just the beginning. You know, we're, we're trying to be Do you feel like diligent. it's like back at maybe like 2012 levels or 2014 levels? No. Or is it still I, I, not like that? For No, for um for distressed mortgages, yeah, I'd probably call it two, 2012 and uh, and going backwards. So we're going to be no you know, probably at 2010 levels in, in six months. So tell me how that's working because obviously um, – you know, there was, it's interesting because I think, um, you know, I, I, I kept hearing about banks um, and mortgages uh, that, that uh, like, you know, the big ones, at least like Chase and Wells Fargo and stuff, they were allowing uh, mortgages to be essentially, you know, it wasn't like a, they weren't tacking on the payments to the end of, of the loan. They would, you know, they, they would forgive and say they wouldn't report late payments and for three months or so, but at the end of that three months, they expected you to pay all of it back. Is that sort of what happened here? Yes, that's very much what's, what's happened. Uh, and there's been, but now it's been extended. And so that forbearance period has been extended, but not forgiven. Uh, and, and some instances they're putting them, you know, go three months and then they're all due, or then they're paid back over three or six months, or in some of the government back loans, it's put onto the very end of the loan. Uh, and, uh, so there's different, different iterations of the same goal, which is to take those payments, which would be now move them to some point in the future and give the borrowers, um, some extra time to, to get through, uh, this challenging period. Yeah. I mean, if they move uh, them to the back, I mean, I feel like people have a better shot, but I mean, you got oh, these absolutely. people who, you know, like these major banks that are expecting a payment, you know, to get caught up in the. Mm-hmm. The economy has not substantially, you know, improved and, huh. and, um, you know, t- talk a little bit about what the government's, um, input on this has resulted in and, 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 you know, what, what we can expect to see in the next couple months. Well, the cha- the challenge with some of the government programs is some of the, um, everybody hears on the news, you know, Hey, there's a big, uh, forbearance, uh, program or, or, or um, there's ban on evictions and, but it, uh, you know, for the forbearances, it only applies to government-backed loans generally is where it's you, you have to do it. Uh, with privately held loans, uh, you can voluntarily offer forbearances, and we've done that. I think most servicers have done that just because you recognize that otherwise, you know, a lot of people just won't, are unable to pay. And uh, But I think what's the, the un, unknown and the challenge is how long this is going to go for because the – to, to have this go for another year uh, on top of the six months that it's already passed creates a lot of, uh, you know, somebody, I mean, somebody's taking a hit here and uh, you know, it can't be the, the mortgage holder, the servicer, the, the homeowner and the government, those are the players and who's going to ultimately pay for us. And, uh, and that's a, an unknown question at this point. Yeah. What's interesting too is, you know, I come from the apartment space and, uh, you know, we're trying to kind of see how that plays out as well. But so far there is very, very little distress, 
um, in the multifamily market, you know, across the country, um, you know, and, 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 uh, you know, as a, uh, asset manager myself on a lot of these, I look at it and I think, well, well, maybe it's because, um, you know, maybe it's because of all of these government programs and stuff. Well, I think that has added to it uh, a little bit. I mean, that has helped a little bit, but um, I think part of it also depends on demographics, right? Where you are and I think, you know, what your market is. Um, you know, ours happens to be working class in these areas like Texas and and Arizona. And for some reason, you know, these these people seem to be doing okay and paying their rents. Talk about, if you would, just the differences that you that come to mind when you think about you know, why there would be distress uh, in, um, you know, in, in mortgages across the country as a, as a whole, but not necessarily with rent payers. Why, why, would, why would that be? Uh, I think there's, well, I will agree, when this first started, a lot of uh, people were concerned that the amount of uh, families defaulting on their mortgage or unable to pay their rent would be very, would be 30, 30% plus. And that hasn't yet um, happened overall. Uh, the and it, so it has been less. I think it's been less than any than everyone expected. But that doesn't mean that people. Maybe it's because of stimulus or other types of programs. But at other at some point, you know, if a family does lose a job or an income, uh, that does make it. It's is going to create challenges. Um, and I don't think there's. It's tough to differentiate between homeowners and and renters. Um, but I think there's a lot of, of, of struggles out there that, you know, maybe they haven't come to the forefront yet, but they will. Yeah. What about the demographic issue? Are you seeing in, in mortgages um, specifically either, you know, the types of homes or across the country in different areas, like varying levels of distress? I think it's just, there's more of a concentration in low to moderate income neighborhoods. Those are ones where I think there's less of a financial safety net, number one. And number two, there's just probably more job losses that have affected uh those, um, you know, those are more modest means. Yeah. And what about, what about on the upper, upper end of stuff, George? I'll tell, I'll tell you the reason I, I'm thinking about this is, you know, I live in Montecito, which is, you know, 93108, um, zip code is probably one of the wealthiest, uh, uh, zip codes in the country. And, you know, the single family market here is on fire, right? I mean, it is, um, you know, probably going, uh, Literally, houses are selling for probably twenty percent more than they were listed for in uh, pre-COVID, and we're talking about multi-million-dollar acquisitions. Um, and to me, that has a lot to do with people wanting to move out of you know L.A. or San Francisco into you know this nice little beach community that's um, you know not you know affluent. But it's also because you've got significantly you know. Uh, you know, they're for people who are doing mortgages, a lot of them are ultra wealthy. They're not using mortgages anyway, but you know, it's pretty attractive rates too right now. Right. I mean, it's uh, so you've got that balance. Are you seeing, uh, what are you seeing? If anything, I mean, usually you're not dealing with the uh, higher end homes, but you are in pre REO. So what, what are you seeing on that side? Everything you just described is accurate. And I'd say it's, it's high end and low end. Uh, the low mortgage interest rates are uh, making it very attractive for families of all sizes. Plus the fact that more people are working from home and staying and spending more time at home. The RREOs, which lent, many of them are concentrated in low to moderate neighborhoods. These are selling um, very fast today at, at uh, prices that were significantly more, same 10, 20% better than they were pre COVID. And that's, 
extraordinary but uh, and something we would never have anticipated when COVID first hit that it was going to be a uh, helpful for the housing market. Uh, but I think those, if you look forward to the future, it's tough to say how long this can last. I mean, at some point, all these millions of families that ha- are on some kind of payment arrangement or forbearance, that runs out, their economic situation hasn't improved, and they end up getting foreclosed upon. That will increase the inventory significantly, probably at all income levels, but again, concentrated on, on the lower income levels. Uh, and the and will that, you know, that should probably increase supply, should should um, push prices down. But the low mortgage interest rates, this economy is so weak that the uh, low interest rates will have, I mean, there's nothing, they can't raise them for the next probably several years, you know, yeah. two to three years at a minimum. At least. And that will yeah. make it so attractive uh, to, to buy. So that, that will keep the, pro- the, the housing market propped up. But then there is definitely a geographic element of that too. Because, you know, I just look at, um, what's happening, for example, you've, you've been in my house, uh, in, uh, in the Northern suburbs of Chicago, again, really nice neighborhood, really affluent place. And then the price is there. I mean, I'm looking at my, my house there, I'm trying to sell and it's, it's now listed for a full 20% uh, less than I bought it for in 2012. Oh. And so what's what's driving the differences in terms of and and it might just be because of all the mess that you know Chicago's in and I know you know that from your <laughs> from your own personal walking into work yeah yeah so so what what do you make of that I mean what are you seeing across the board across the country in different markets because I know you guys are kind of all over yeah we do see that I mean what what's interesting and you mentioned this earlier is that in the cities you know there's definitely people that think, but, and probably rightly so, they were they moved into the cities to be close to work. Now they can suddenly work from home in many cases. Then why not move to a neighborhood that they really want to live in that's maybe a smaller community, a resort community? Uh, in some of those areas, hey, we can live and work here if we're doing work from home. So I think there's definitely going to be a continued exodus from the big cities. Uh, and that will, I mean, that's not new. That's the, a lot of people expect that. And you'll that will reduce the, you know, probably have a, an, a reduction in time of values in, in cities and, you know, New York, Chicago, uh, you know, these downtowns and, and uh, probably increase values as you go to the suburbs. I mean, I live in Barrington, you know, which has been a, a really a very, another affluent suburb of Chicago, but it has this, um, for the last several years with all the job losses has been a very weak market. And, uh, but in the last, uh, six, eight weeks, we've seen properties that were on the market for a year or two. They're all selling, getting, you know, under contract signs, sold signs. And that's uh, a big change. I think it's, it's going to be a great time to sell uh, your property. If ever there was a time to sell it, uh, this is the market's strong. You would think, but uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm really struggling with this thing, unfortunately, but uh, I, and I may end up just keeping it for that reason, because I think it's kind of, there's something going on in Chicago suburbs Mm -hmm. in particular. But um, what um, what do you anticipate? So, you you know, you talked about sort of how we're, we might be sort of at 2012 levels and sort of going back back uh, in time from there. What is it that, uh, you know, from the uh, that you're seeing that makes you think we're going to continue down this path? And at some point, does it just, you know, does the full full kimono come off and, and all of a sudden you see the sort of the pinnacle of the drop in, in the single family market. Yeah, it's, uh, we're, we're still, 
we had a long run up of, you know, since, you know, the last, um, since the 2008 and the, the great recession, there was a long run up that, in, that included, uh, increases or appreciation in home values for, for almost a, a decade or more than a decade almost. And that is, I think right now we're on kind of the fumes of that. I mean, there's different circumstances that are extending it. Uh, but at some point there has to be a big, you know, there will be a, a massive spike in foreclosures. Uh, I mean, it's inevitable and that increased supply should drive down prices, uh, even with the low interest rates. Uh, do you but see when though, that happens, it's hard to say. Do you see that? Okay. Say for example, um, a COVID vaccination becomes available in December becomes widely disseminated by March, April, May. Um, all of a sudden, you know, business as usual. Do you see that that could put the brakes on this, or do you feel like, you know, that train has already left? I think it's the latter. I think that that's. I I don't think you know the vaccine uh, will be a cure all for the challenges we have in the country. I mean, we were, we were due for a. Um, for a downturn sure. and COVID happened to be the trigger. It could have been any other reason, but COVID happened to be the trigger. And I think, you know, we're still seeing some, um, some activity, but if you look back at 2008, when things started going awry uh, in 2009, the government put in place a, 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 some kind of credit. I think it was about a $7,500 credit to incent buyers to buy, buy a home. And that helped kind of prop the market up for, for a little while longer uh, maybe a year. And then it, 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 and it was already weak and weakening, but I think it probably slowed the, um, the contraction here. Uh, we're due. I mean, if you go back in history, we're due for a downturn and uh, this, uh, the company's de- I mean, the, the economy is definitely on the decline. Uh, the, the housing market is still staying strong and actually in some cases, like we pointed out, is is improving, uh, but that uh, the economic fundamentals behind it are not there. So there needs to no. needs to be a correction. Here's the problem, um, and I'm playing devil's advocate here because I I hear you, and in many ways I kept for I was sort of being this drum of tsunami, you mm-hmm. know, of defaults and all that. But what's going on with the Fed and? the interest in interest rates and, and, and then, uh, you know, fiscal policy. Um, it just seems to me like as long as the fed keeps printing money, uh, asset prices stay, keep staying high as they are. Um, you know, it, it's, it's hard to imagine if exactly if something positive comes out of the vaccine, that there isn't some artificial continued, um, uh, you know, elevation of those asset prices. I mean, look at the stock market, right? I mean, and you know, all these, all these markets are ultimately correlated. Mm -hmm. We're doing things differently than we did in 2008. So I just wonder how, if, if there is a possibility where there really is a truly, uh, you know, sort of soft landing because of the extraordinary, uh, the extraordinary means that uh, the federal reserve and and fiscal policy have, have taken. But you don't see that, I guess. I mean, I think you're probably. I mean, you're 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 kind of where I I was before, but now I'm just looking at it, saying, I mean, listen, and uh, you know, we 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 had one little dip in the markets at all time highs, you know that, and so 
So I, I just, I'm not really seeing, you know, exactly what happens, um, you know, across the board if, if everything is correlated, but I don't know your thoughts well, on that. I was, yeah. Well, I will say it's tough. The good news I think for any investor out there um, is that the market is unpredictable and people can make convincing arguments on all sides <laughs> yeah. and that, that creates opportunity. I mean, yeah. the, the, the problem was a year ago, we had so much data that informed us that, you know, Hey, this is what happens with distressed mortgages or real estate. When, it, when the markets become predictable, that's when, you know, um, returns contract. Now the market is unpredictable. I would think you could have some of the brightest minds in the country, put them all in a room saying what's going to happen the next year in this country uh, to the economy. You'll get multiple different answers. You, you go back a year or two and you'd probably get some pretty, you come to some kind of consensus uh, by and large. You wouldn't get that today, and I think that unpredictability creates um, creates opportunity. I mean, unfortunately, the the opportunity is going to be the result of of um, I think some to the extent opportunity comes, it's it's due to some significant economic um, challenges rippling through the country and 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 the globe for that matter. What we do know, though, is right now, as you mentioned, your business, uh, HP Servicing, ha- is seeing an increase on opportunity and inventory. Talk a little bit about what HP servicing does. Remind us kind of like the way this whole notes process works and what, um, you know, what what non-performing notes are and, and all that stuff. Sure. So HP buys mortgages when people can't pay. And so typically a bank or a hedge fund will own a loan. And then when they stop paying, uh, they'll be willing to sell that at a discount. And uh, the further behind they get, generally the greater the discount. Uh, and so we buy those loans and we crowdfund the money at AHP servicing. And we use that money for two things. One is to buy those mortgages uh, at discounts and then work them out, ideally. Uh, and then the other is to, uh, what we've used it for is to build a, a national uh, mortgage servicer. And just to give a little detail on that, We've been buying mortgages for a decade. Uh, in that decade, we went through nine different servicers. We were never satisfied with one of them. So in 2017, or with one of them, with any of them. And so in 2017, we decided to start our own servicer and thinking that it would take us maybe a year to build it out. Here we are three years later. We are licensed in every state of the union except for New York. And New York is imminent. They announce their new licensees every Friday. We're eagerly anticipating an announcement today. Uh, they published on the website, so hopefully we'll be there. Uh, we've completed everything they've asked us for, and uh, we're thinking about the altar on that. But either way, right now we're a national mortgage servicer, and so we service our mortgages, plus we have about 40 additional clients, uh, which we service for, and we're continually adding new clients. The fact with the distress and the new loans, um, new pools of loans being sold into the market, new pools of defaulted mortgages being sold in the market, there's definitely, um, we're seeing more and more um, servicers or more and more of a demand for a servicer who can uh, meet the needs of those um, of those investors who hold non-performing mortgages. So we're definitely seeing an uptick in, uptick in business. And then there's a fund. Tell us about the fund. Yeah, so the fund is, is, is the crowd, we crowdfund this money to buy both the loans and, uh, and fund the servicer. And that has, uh, it pays, the, we pay the first 10%. Uh, to investors, and uh, it's typically distributed monthly, and that's um, the fund that we operate now. It's started in November of 2018. It closes November 5th of 2020, so that'll be the last time that uh, it's available. 
We are working on another fund to go after that. The next fund right now, we're anticipating that it will distribute 7% as opposed to the 10%. And that's you know, partially a response to the um, extremely low interest rate uh, environment that we are in today, you know, which compared to uh, 2018, it's, it's continued uh, to drop. So we think 7% will be well received. Oh, wow. Okay. And so, so the 10% opportunity is about to end. How, how, uh, how long do you think, or, you know, how much you got left in that one? Uh, there's, there's ample capacity. Uh, we have November 5th is the date, uh, but there's room for more investors. Remember, we started this fund in November of 2018. In May of 2019, we stopped accepting new investments. And that went on until I believe November of 2019. For several months, we wouldn't have taken money. The reason is, we had raised a lot of money and we just, as we mentioned before, there just weren't the opportunities to deploy it. Now, fast forward to 2020, post COVID, we're seeing lots of opportunities. So now we are, um, we do have capacity. So we are welcoming uh, new investments in. And I'm just going to back up for a second and remind people kind of the, the, the business model of a non-performing node. Essentially, you've got somebody who's not, um, you know, you're not, not paying their mortgage, uh, and the the bank, uh, you know, may end up. These could be, you know, bank held uh, notes, or they could be from seller financing, whatever. And then somebody ends up, um, you know, whoever owns that ends up selling uh, that debt to a, an investor like you or me or George's fund. And then at that point, you've you, you know you've presumably bought these things at a big discount. And so you have a few different options. At that point, you could technically just foreclose on somebody, take the property and sell it. The other thing is you could pay him some money and, and tell him to scram and see if that works. Uh, or uh, you could try to negotiate some kind of a new mortgage that somebody can afford and wipe out you know, most of their old debt and try to keep it performing. Now, the third option is what George's company really tries to do. And so there's a social element of doing good behind behind the fund. Is that uh, is that's, uh, about a pretty good summary? That's a great summary, Buck. Good, good. You can use that. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, we might have you write a commercial or two. <laughs> and so effectively, that's important because I know there's, um, especially these days, there's a strong push, uh, I know, by a number of investors to have some sort of social meaning behind uh, their, uh, you know, their investments. Well, this one does. Um, in addition to that, um, I do want to point out that, um, you know, this is not an easy business to do as an individual. I have tried doing it myself, and I can tell you that I lost a lot of interest pretty quickly uh, just doing it myself because it just seemed uh, tough. And I think what makes this business kind of... Um, a lot more stable is the fact that these, uh, first of all, George's company, this is all they do. He's very, very good at this stuff. Um, and they deal in large numbers. So in general, my personal feeling on node investing is if you're going to do it, I would highly recommend doing it through a big fund rather than doing it yourself. Um, and I just from speaking from personal experience, um, George, do you think that's fair in terms of the, the talk about the, the advantage of doing this through large numbers, because I think that's critically important. Yeah, I think you're right. There's a, we don't make money on every loan that we buy. Uh, there's oftentimes uh, situations where we, you know, you rely on a, 
agent driving by saying, Hey, I think that property's worth a hundred thousand dollars. And then you get it back and foreclose. Now you go inside and it's, you know, termite infested or something like that. So we've, uh, you know, if you buy a hundred loans, there's probably a portion of them. It could be 10% of them where you're, you're, you're not going to do well. So the problem I think for individual investors is if you happen to buy, you know, one or two or three, and they all happen to be in that, um, you know, challenging bunch, uh, where you could lose money and, uh, that, that increases the likelihood that you'll have some investors who are, didn't, didn't do well. Uh, maybe they'll win on one, lose on the other. And they said, Hey, this didn't work. So the larger the pools or, or the larger amount of loans you buy, generally the better that you'll, you'll do in aggregate. And I think that's what's approved out of HP. The um, um, other part of this fund that I think is really unique uh, and on something that uh, um, I think is important to, to know is that uh, unlike most funds, unlike most uh, placements, um, well, I should point out this is also open to, you know, anybody, you don't have to be accredited and investments can be as little as a hundred bucks. So it's, uh, it really is open to anybody, but um, there's also an element of liquidity to this, which is really unusual for a fund. Do you want to talk a little bit about that, George? Cause um, I think that also helps people to make some decisions. Sure. So I'll reiterate the first two points. One is, yeah, minimum investment is only $100 and we are open to accredited and non-accredited investors. So like you said, almost anyone can invest. And we do offer best efforts liquidity, which basically means that although the investment is for a term of five years, you can invest, we uh, request your money back at any time and we'll undertake our best efforts to return the money to you. Now, when you, um, there is a caveat to that though. Uh, we pay, as I've stated before, the first 10% to investors. Um, but if you redeem in the first year, that goes from 10 to eight and the second year goes from 10 to nine after two years, you get to keep the full 10%. Uh, and the next caveat is typically we will, um, once the redemption is requested, we return that money within 30 days. We were able to do that for, um, for years up until COVID, uh, COVID hit, we had a huge number of redemption requests, unprecedented number, and we're still working through those requests. So I guess you want to make you want to hear that, yes, we do uh, process redemptions and we continue to process redemptions, but once an investor, um, and it's typically done within 30 days, except in extreme circumstances like COVID, things can get delayed and they are, but it, we're distributing, um, we have distributed uh, considerable amounts of money since COVID has began. So just uh, just as a reminder, the uh, deadline for the 10% fund is November 15th, uh, you, meaning that if you want to get in there and get a, a 10% return, that's what you need to do. How do, how do you get, uh, how do you invest, George? You want to talk, ask sure. You? you go to ahpservicing.com. There's a button at near the top, um, invest now. You can click and you walk through a very um, expedited process where in a handful of minutes, you can complete the investment process, uh, sign the investment agreement even request an ACH to fund your account uh, all within a few minutes, all online. George Newberry, everyone. Always a pleasure, George. Thanks for joining us. Likewise, Buck. Be right Thanks back. Thanks for having me on again. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Hopefully you enjoyed that. Uh, lots to look forward to. Lots of excitement. You can't go outside. You can't really go to sporting events, but you can watch uh, what is going to turn out to be one of the, if not the craziest uh, presidential elections of all time. Um, who knows what's going to happen? I mean, that, everything's so unparalleled. I, I have some theories on what I believe that happened that I'm not even going to say out loud because because uh, they'll be so controversial. But um, 
but it, it it'll be interesting. It's like a reality TV situation. And I guess, you know, we do have a president who had a reality TV show, so maybe that that makes sense. At any rate, this uh, this uh, this is a good time to be very tuned in. Don't be scared. Look at the reality. Um, you know, is it a time that you should just be sitting on the sidelines and not buying? I don't know about that. It could be. Could you be buying and sitting on the sidelines and waiting for better times because you bought when everybody was scared? In certain areas, I believe that that may be the case. I mean, I I think that that still may be the case for apartment buildings. So anyway, we'll see what happens. If you're not part of Investor Club and you are an accredited investor, make sure you sign up at WealthFormula.com because you're going to get a front row uh, look at the different things that we have coming up in the next three months. It's going to be very exciting. That's it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. This is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Buck Joffrey here from Save You with Buck Joffrey. Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.